following sermon is from Grace City Church, located in DY, Sydney, Australia. If you'd like to know more about us, head to gracecitychurch.net. It's really great to be here with you today. Uh, I was loving that song about the foot of the cross. You know, I really felt God's presence with us as we were worshipping. And in that song, it just reminded me of a story I just want to share with you. Uh, because one of the privileges I have is traveling all around the world, connecting different churches together. And uh, about three years ago, we launched our second church in, the, in Istanbul, that wonderful city. 15 million people, 80 kilometers from one end to the other. (laughs) Beautiful place. Anyone wants to go to a place that's wonderfully beautiful, as well as a great challenge for the gospel, then join one of our teams in Istanbul. But we're about to launch our third church plant there uh, over the next few months. And uh, it's been really good to see what God does. When we launched the second church... We're praying for someone to be saved. First person that got saved was a tattoo artist. And, uh, he, we'd been praying for someone of real influence to be saved. He was the first person. And actually, many of the people that have come to Christ since in that church have all come through this guy. He's well known. He's famous throughout the land as being a brilliant tattoo artist. And, uh, but after he'd been saved, he brought his girlfriend along, and she didn't like church. She thought, coming from a, even though not an active Muslim, coming from a nominal Muslim background, she thought it was very disrespectful for people to clap and dance in church before God. And uh, she went to a party that evening and was mocking everything she'd seen in the morning. She was telling people about it and just laughing about it. That night, when she was asleep, she had a dream. And Jesus appeared to her in a dream. As I shared over the weekend, many Muslims are coming to Christ because Jesus appears to them in dreams. And Jesus appeared to her. And remember, this is someone who knew nothing about the story of the cross. Didn't know anything at all. And... uh, Jesus appeared and he stretched out his hands and said, why are you mocking my church? He said, you're an intelligent woman, think about it and check it all out before you mock. Gracious thing for him to say. And then he stretched out his hands and he showed her the nail marks. Remember, she didn't know the story of the cross at all. But he said to her, what I did for the wrong in this world really hurt. Then he put his hand to her in her dream and touched her in those same places where his nail marks were. When she woke up in the morning, she still had marks in those two places. That evening she went to our Alpha course and she showed everybody. This is what happened. Jesus appeared to me and told me this. And there she was at the foot of the cross, 
Didn't know anything about the cross before. Didn't know the story. Well, she went along to the Alpha course for a few weeks because Jesus said to her, check it out first. So she didn't want to give herself to Christ immediately. She needed to check it out and do what he said. And so, and as she was going through the course, every few days, Jesus would appear again in a dream and teach her a bit more. So she learned from the Alpha course and she learned directly from the Lord. And praise God, she eventually, after a few weeks, came to faith and got baptized. But I keep thinking of that, that at the foot of the cross, we're there. We know the story, most of us. If you don't, then it's as been explained already. There was a time when the Son of God carried all the sin, shame, and evil of this world and died so that people could be set free from it. And what he did for her, he can do for many, for all. Everyone here. Well, at the camp, we looked at the story of Joseph. And the story of Joseph goes through, I don't know, about 10, 12 chapters of the Bible. And so, even though we had a whole weekend, we couldn't quite finish it. Um, and so I thought I'd finish it this morning. Now, for those of you who weren't at the camp, don't worry. I'll, this message will be a message complete in itself, and I'll just summarize very briefly the story so far, because the story of Joseph is that. It's a great story. One of the things I quoted at the camp was a Christian atheist novelist who wrote in a magazine, sorry, a, a Christian atheist, an atheist novelist in the New about Christ. None of you picked that up. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Only the PA guy is still awake. Okay, so... <laughs> a atheist novelist writing about Christianity said that... He said, I don't believe in God, but I have to admit 98% of the best stories in the world are in the Bible. And the story of Joseph is one of those incredible stories. Amazing. And so we got so far with it. Joseph was the great-grandson of a guy who got, a guy called Abraham, who got called by God and told that through his family, the whole world would be blessed. And the problem was, that family had problem after problem. In fact, various aspects of wrongdoing got entrenched in that family in every generation. One was favoritism. Each father, it seemed, had his favorite sons and each mother as well. Jealousy, because siblings got jealous of each other. And deception. And those things were in each each generation of this family that was supposed to bless the world. And the story of Joseph is the story of one young man who overcame all the stuff in his family and did bless the world at that time. And Joseph, first of all, 
he dreamt dreams about how one day his brothers would all bow down to him and rather foolishly he shared that with them all. You know, if you get great dreams about the future, best talk to God about it. You know. And he was also, because he was his father's favorite, was given this multicolored dream coat. And uh, he was once going to find out how his brothers were. And because he was on his own, they took him, ripped his clothes off him, dipped his cloak in the blood, took that back to his, their dad and sold him in slavery into Egypt. But with the result that the dad, Jacob, thought that his son was dead. But he was sold as a slave into Egypt. As a slave, he did well because he was a man of integrity and soon was managing all his officers, all his um, owners, the officer and the king's guard, all his affairs. Then his owner's wife tried to seduce him. He resisted, but because she got jealous, she accused him of having tried to rape her. The result was he got thrown into prison. So sold into slavery, then thrown into prison. Then, because of his gift of interpreting dreams, he interpreted some dreams which brought him to the notice of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who had also had a bad dream. And Joseph interpreted that dream and, as a result, was made put in charge of the whole of Egypt. That's the story so far. Okay, so that's a summary of, see? Next time, come to the camp, but you've still got five minutes summary of all the teaching of the camp, except for Pete's, which was brilliant, but I won't tell you that one. Okay, <laughs> so we're going to now pick up the story at that point. Joseph is now in charge of the land. He said there's going to be seven years of much food, and during that time, they had to take 20% of it, put it in store, ready for when there was... A, a famine that was going to come over Egypt and all the world around it. And so we're going to pick up the story at that particular point. And I'm going to cover five or six chapters right now. So we won't read all of it. Okay, but I will read some of it. So I'll tell story and then intermingle story from Scripture. It's a brilliant story. Read it sometime. And it's very, it's a very good story of how they told stories in the East. They kept repeating things. And that's actually what made it live. And so the famine came and affected Egypt and the whole world surrounding Egypt. People in Egypt got very hungry. But they just went to Joseph because he'd made provision for this food. And people from other nations, including the land of Israel, traveled to Egypt to buy food. Well, in this story, we find how Joseph not only blessed the world, but got reconciled with his family. Both of those are very important to God. He wants the world to be blessed through his church, and he wants families to be reconciled. So, what happened? Well... Jacob 
an old man by now, thinking that Joseph was dead. As they got hungrier and hungrier, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at one another? You know, they're all a bit indecisive, not sure what to do. This, all these grown men saying, what shall we do? What shall we do? We're hungry. What shall we do? He said, you've heard this food in Egypt. Why keep looking down at each, looking at each other? And he sent 10 of the brothers, because there were 12 altogether, including Joseph, down to Egypt. He wouldn't send Benjamin, because Jacob had still not learnt his lesson. Benjamin was his favourite son, so he wouldn't let him go in case anything happened to him. And they arrived in the land of Egypt. And because they were from another nation, they had to appear before the prime minister of that land, who was Joseph, but they didn't know him, and ask for food. Well, Joseph recognized them, but he didn't recognize, but they didn't recognize him. He was now a man. He was a teenager when they sold him. He had no beard. Okay. Cause Egyptians didn't have beards and Israelites did. Okay. He spoke Egyptian, not Hebrew. Joseph had got so assimilated into Egyptian culture that he spoke, spoke their language. Fluently, when we send people to other nations, that's what we train them to do. The guy who planted that church in Turkey that I've just talked about, he, we really stressed it to him and he really devoted himself to it. Within 18 months of landing, he was preaching in Turkish. Pretty good. And that's how he did it. He said, forgive these little side stories, but they're to encourage you. You all right with stories? Okay. And he he got to the point where he'd learned Turkish pretty well, but he said after four hours speaking another language, he got a bit tired. So he, he'd learned it in the university, and there was a particular coffee shop he used to go to when he was at university. So he went to that coffee shop, and he said to the guy, look, he said, I'm speaking Turkish, but I get tired after four hours. Can I work in your shop for free? so that I can have 10 hours speaking Turkish so I can overcome my tiredness. <laughs> Devoted himself. Joseph must have done that. He thoroughly got involved in Egyptian culture. He looked like an Egyptian. He taught the language. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was about to say it, but I didn't. Okay. And... <laughs> He didn't worry about, look, you know, to a Hebrew. Having a beard was very important. Joseph is an Egyptian now. I'm identifying with that people. So he shaved his beard off. He looked just like an Egyptian. He actually spoke to them through an interpreter. Most of my preaching nowadays is through interpreters. In fact, I find quite strange standing up here and there's nobody standing next to me interpreting for you. But I think, you understand my English? Okay. okay, just about. Okay, you know, it's amazing. You can go to another country that speaks the same language and we're driving along the road and suddenly he says, can you tell me, what's a transit lane? I thought all lanes were transit. I mean, transit means you go... Anyway, we didn't know what that was. It's amazing. We know, we recognize the words, had no clue what it meant, but we kept out of it. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. Someone tell me afterwards what on earth that means. And so normally I'm speaking through an interpreter and Joseph was speaking to his brothers through an interpreter. Even though he could have spoken his own language, he actually was being an Egyptian, so he spoke to them through an interpreter. And when they came before the prime minister of Egypt, all the brothers bowed down. And it says, Joseph remembered his dream. We didn't give anything away. He just remembered. But he said to them, started speaking harshly to them. See, he was wanting to bring them to a point of repentance so there could be reconciliation. In order to do that, he had to test them out a bit. And said, you're spies. Now, that wasn't an unreasonable thing to say. There were times in history during this, this uh, period where other nations had set up dynasties in Egypt and tried to overcome the uh, government. They said, no, no, we're brothers. Spies don't travel as a whole family. Indeed, he said, we're 12. But one is no more. Of course, the one standing there listening to them, understanding every word. And the youngest is with his father. Oh, he said, no, you're spies. I'm going to, he said, one of you, now you prove you're not spies by one of you staying here in prison and the others going home and straight away bring your youngest brother with you and that will check out whether you're telling the truth or not. They started to quarrel in front of him. Of course, they were speaking Hebrew, so they thought he didn't understand. You know, one of the disadvantages of speaking English is that wherever you go, you can't ever have a private conversation because there's always somebody that knows English, you know? Uh, whereas other languages are more privileged in that respect. <laughs> and uh, so they started speaking in Hebrew to each other because Joseph understood. And they started to quarrel and Reuben said, he's the oldest didn't I tell you not to sell him into Egypt? Didn't I tell you? And they were quarreling about this brother they had sold because it was still in on their conscience. And when one of them was going to be taken into prison and this man was so difficult to them, they began to think maybe it's because God is judging us because we sold our brother. And Joseph was listening to the whole of this conversation. He said, imagine Joseph hearing this. You saw how distressed he was when we sold him. Well, one brother stayed behind, Simeon, and the others were sent off. And Joseph arranged for all their money that they paid for the grain to be put in the tops of their sacks. So, when they opened their grain on the way home, they found all their money there. They went, what what is this? What's happening? We're going to be in trouble again. 
They'll think we've stolen the money. And then when they got home, they had to explain to their father. They said, we've lost another of the sons. (laughs) Simeon's in Egypt. And the only way we're going to get him back is you'll have to send Benjamin. And we opened our sacks and saw all the silver that we'd paid for the grain. What do you think that would mean? What was the point of that? See, Joseph is testing them all the time. They sold him the silver. And maybe when the father saw the silver, he thought, no, they didn't. What they'd done was sell Simeon as a slave. Because the money back in their sacks was the money they'd have got for selling a man as a slave, which is just what they'd done to Joseph. The whole story just fits together. And they say, well, we've got to take Benjamin back. No, no, Benjamin won't go. I've lost one of my favorites. I'm not going to lose the other one. Judah demonstrated responsibility and said he'll guarantee his safety and we'll take the blame and the punishment. And they got hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. Please go back. We can't go back unless we take Benjamin. So Jacob reluctantly agreed and he sent. He thought he did the right eastern way of doing it. He got loads and loads of gifts and sent them to this man. Now, the Bible talks about that. In Middle East culture, it's a gift culture. You always give a gift to prepare the way. And the Bible speaks about this. Proverbs 18 verse 16 says, A gift opens the way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. It's not a bribe. It's how you start discussions. By bringing a gift. Well, they went down. They took Benjamin with them. And Joseph saw them all. Saw his brother. And then... He prepared a big feast for them all. Joseph himself ate separately because it was it was thought uh, that Egyptians it was believed below their dignity to eat with Hebrews. And they started to uh, have this great big feast. And the brothers came into the feast, and they found that each one of them was placed at table in the order of their age in the family. What's going on here? <laughs> Imagine that. Twelve of them. That's a pretty good guess, wouldn't it? What's going on? And they enjoyed this feast. Probably drank a bit too much. Slept in in the morning. Had to rush off. And meanwhile, Joseph's assistant had put their money back again into their sacks and a valuable cup this is one of these strange mysteries of the Bible, a cup that was used for fortune-telling. You know, all sorts of cultures use cups and what's in the cups and the dregs of cups to tell the fortune. Now, this doesn't mean that's a good thing to do. The Bible makes it clear it isn't. But Joseph, even though he got his words of knowledge from God, he got so assimilated in the culture that he would have one of these cups. Not how he heard God. But when you go to a people 
you identify with their culture. Scary, isn't it? Off they went that night, and Joseph then sent his assistant after them and accused them of stealing. He said, someone stolen the cup in which the prime minister of Egypt tells fortunes. No, no, nobody's told, nobody's done that. If anyone has done it, he will die. And they searched through the sacks and found it in Benjamin's sack. Now, a decision. Through jealousy, they had sold Joseph, who was the favourite, into slavery. What would they do for Benjamin, who was now the favourite? Have they changed? See? God is working all this through. Have they changed? Would they let him die? Decision time. Let's say if you make huge wrong decisions in your life, in God's redemptive purpose, you have an opportunity later to make a different decision. That's what happened. And they said, no, no, he can't. We'll all go back. And they tore their clothes. They said, and they went to Joseph and said, we'll all be your slaves. No, no, don't need all of you to be my slaves. Only Benjamin. And then... Judah spoke an amazingly powerful speech of repentance. Joseph, uh, Judah had not been a particularly good son. In fact, there's one whole chapter in the book of Genesis that is one of the most disgusting chapters in the Bible, which tells all about the things that Judah did wrong. But now he had totally changed and he decided to take responsibility and lead the repentance for selling Joseph into slavery. And so Judah said to Joseph, he didn't know it was Joseph, what can we say to my Lord, Judah replied. By the way, this is Genesis 44, 16 to 34. I'm reading the Bible now. I've been telling the Bible up till now. <clears throat> what can we say to my Lord, Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. And when he says, we have found, you have found out our guilt. It wasn't their guilt of stealing the cup. Because they didn't steal the cup. It was their guilt. God had uncovered their guilt. Of, of which they recognized of selling Joseph into slavery. And it's Joseph they're saying to him, they don't realize But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, please, my Lord, let your servant speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servants, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, we have an aged father. And there's a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead. Joseph. And he's the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Now, Judah is not fighting the jealousy. Judah is not fighting the favoritism. He's not being consumed with jealousy anymore. He's taking responsibility. Never mind, my father has favorites. I'm going to be different now.
Repentance doesn't stand on its rights. You know, some people hear them repent and they also put a little bit of their own rights in. No, no, that's all gone. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When he went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go buy it back and buy a little more food. But we said, by the way, this is repeating the whole previous chapter. It's how they told stories. We cannot... Your sir, go back and buy a little more food. But we said we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is us with, with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me and I said he has surely been torn to pieces. And I've not seen him since. If you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in misery. So now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, see that the boy isn't here, he will die. Your servants will bring the grey head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you. My father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let see the the misery that will come upon my father. Repentance. Taking responsibility. Joseph, at that point, sent all the Egyptians out so as not to make a public scene and not to expose his brother's sin. And he said to them, I am, just imagine the power of this, I am Joseph. Is my father really still alive? They were terrified. What would he do? He had power of life and death. Amazing forgiveness. Don't be distressed. God, who is sovereign, sent me here to preserve the life of the world. Go and tell my father and get him to bring the whole family down here. They reconciled. They kissed each other. I'd love to. I mean, this, this the drama of this is so powerful. Imagine them all. Talk together, free with one another. The families restored as well as the nations blessed. Pharaoh heard about it and ordered carts to bring father, family and children down to Egypt. When they got back to Jacob, they said, Joseph is alive and he's Lord of all Egypt. He fainted. (laughs) But then saw the carts and believed and went down to find his son again. What an amazing, amazing story of how God deals with us. Okay, so what lessons? I mean, you've had story, and for some of you, that some of you, it's great. You've already got all the lessons because you learn by stories. Others of you need a few points and principles at the end because you come to, from that culture where we say things like, "What's the point of the story?" Okay. Basically, people learn in two ways. They either learn through stories, which is seventy percent of the world, 
or they learn through principles, which is about 20 to 30% of the world, and they need the point of the story. And because there's some of you who learn by principles, I'm going to teach you some principles now. Because I always like to teach both groups of people when I teach the Word of God. Those of you who learn by stories, you've already learned everything. Okay? <laughs> you've got it. <laughs> because for people that learn by stories, the truth is in the story. For those that learn by principles, you can tolerate stories, but you now need to learn something. Okay, so here we go. Lessons to learn. Joseph, firstly, blessing the nations. Joseph became an example of God's plan for this family to bless all the nations of the world. Okay, Joseph became an example, that's all right, move on, of God's plan for this family. There you are. I mean, please, lots of you volunteer for this job, won't you? Okay, (laughs) preachers will always encourage you. And actually, this family was going to bless the world because Jesus came from this family. Jesus became the Messiah of Israel. And the Messiah of Israel was the representative of Israel. He became Israel. The Messiah became Israel. When Jesus died on the cross, what's called the remnant of Israel, all that remained of Israel, was reduced to one. Jesus on the cross was Israel, was the the son of Abraham, dying to bless the whole world. Joseph was a picture of that. Joseph was the one from all of the people of Israel who had blessed the world. Jesus became the one, the Messiah, that died for the sins of the world, to bless every nation. This family is to bless the nations, and it's now the family who are in Christ. You see, here's a little bit of theology for you. When... You were born, you were born in Adam, the Bible says. That is, Adam is like the representative head of all human beings. And everybody who's born is born in Adam. When you come to know Jesus as your personal saviour, you are taken out of Adam. You know, change, stop being a human. You're still very human. But you're taken out of Adam and you're placed in Christ. That means all the promises to Christ are inherited by you. Therefore, Christ is there to bless the nations. That was one of the promise. The seed of Abraham who will bless every nation. You are in Christ. So you are now part of the family to bless the nations of the world. That's who you are. You are a blessing in the earth. Talk to your neighbor and tell them they're a blessing in the earth. (laughs) The earth is blessed because of you. Because you are in Christ. In the Messiah. You are a Joseph. Because the 
Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of Joseph. He is there to bless the nations. He died, rose again to bless all the nations and takes us into his family. It's still a family that blessed the nations of the world. But it's the family that you're now part of. And so he says, both the one who makes men holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's you, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. When Joseph gathered his brothers around him, even though they'd sold him into slavery, he wasn't ashamed to call them brothers. Even though we rejected God, even though we failed so many times, Jesus, because of his love for us and his bringing us into his family, is now not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. By the way, the word brothers in the Bible means siblings, really. It's a word that can embrace brothers and sisters. So, Jesus isn't ashamed of you. You may be ashamed of you. Jesus isn't. Jesus is not ashamed to say, my sister. It's my sister. You know, when you, yeah. We're often proud of our siblings, aren't we? Yeah. Your sister does something great. It's my sister. Jesus says that again. We've sung about him saying he's our friend, but he's also says, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm so ashamed of me. All the things I've done. No. Joseph says to his brothers, I'm not ashamed of you. You're my brothers. Jesus says, I'm not ashamed of you. You're my brothers. And the whole world was blessed. Notice, by the way, that everyone has had to pay for their food. It wasn't just doled out free because it's the dignity of, of them here being created in the image of God, which includes working in order to buy this food from Joseph. Repentance led to restoration. Why did Joseph not just announce himself at the beginning, confront them, then forgive them? Because he had learned the value of time in his own life, but also he knew that genuine repentance was needed for his brothers to get completely free. So he did all this testing for their blessing. Because to get really free, you need to turn away and repent from what is wrong. It also gave time for conscience to work. Even though it was 20 years later, they needed to be able to deal with what they'd done. And they needed to show that they were willing to take care of Benjamin, which was fruit of repentance. Repentance is not just being sorry. Repentance is changing. You know, we can say sorry, but repentance is changing. Okay. I was going to talk about Jacob and how he had to change as well, but I haven't got time for that. So what's the main lesson then of the story of Joseph? There was a group of students from different nations and they were gathered together in a theological seminary. It's a true story. And all of them were asked, 
what is the main point of the story of Joseph? What would you say? You have heard it, some of you just today. Some of you have heard it loads of times now. Just think, what's the main point of the story of Joseph? Well, some of those students present said it's about those who are very visionary, you know. There's a lot of visionary leaders around. People who have vision and go for it. And that's commended in the day in which we live. Visionary is often commended more than faithfulness. But actually, they would say it's a story of a man with a vision who saw it all come true in the end. That's the main point of the book of Joseph, the story of Joseph. A good reformed theologian, that's someone that studies the Bible and takes a particular view, a reformed theologian would say, it's all about the sovereignty of God. God brought about his purposes despite all the problems. The other is a sort of great dream. However low you fall, you can still achieve greatness. Those are particularly, now there's an emphasis in the Christian church today all about what we can achieve. You can do it. Not sure that's always the truth. He can do it. But there's much some self-fulfillment. And some of those who are into self-fulfillment, they said, doesn't matter how low you fall, you can still achieve greatness and become prime minister of Egypt. Okay. Prophetically inclined people said, he fulfilled the prophetic calling to bless the nations. Some who were going through a tough time said, However difficult life became, Joseph remained faithful to God. Hallelujah. One group of Africans said this, who were students, it doesn't matter how far, how, how long a man is away from home, he never forgets his family. Okay? Which of those is the main lesson of the story of Joseph? There's actual truth in all of them. It does show that as God gives us dreams, not as I said last weekend, not any dream will do, as God, that was a quote from the song, by the way, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. Great musical. I loved it. Not quite accurate in some points, but I still loved it. Yeah. And it's true. He had a vision. He had a dream. And because of, and it was fulfilled. That's true. God will do that for us. It is also true that it teaches the sovereignty of God over every situation. God is sovereign and it's his purposes that he brings about. It is also true. However low you fall, God can still use you to do great things. They may not be human greatness, but in his eyes, they are. It's also true that Joseph fulfilled the prophetic calling on his family's life to bless the nations of the world. 
it's true. However difficult it got, he remained faithful to God. It is also true. However long he was away from home, he never forgot his family. Because the final chapters focus not on blessing the nations, though he did. God's interested in blessing the nations. God's interested also in restoring relationships in families. He's interested because he chose a family to bless the families of the world. God looks at the world not primarily as nations, certainly not political nations that we call nations today. By the way, the nation-state is a relatively recent invention. Didn't exist until generally about three or four hundred years ago. Previously, there were empires and there were ethnic groups who travelled around. God, so nationalism actually, not a very good thing really. Just throw that in. Unless it's cricket. (laughs) But God talks thinks of people in families, in clans. When it says, I will bless you and your family, then it says, all the clans of the earth will be blessed through you. God thinks of the people as families. And therefore, God is interested in reconciliation in families for those families to bless the world. And this is this story. So, however long away from home, he didn't forget his family, is also a true statement of the story of Joseph. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray too for all of us. Thank you that you're not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus wants to say to you right now, I'm not ashamed, if you're a believer in him, I'm not ashamed that you're my brother, that you're my sister. And Father, I pray for all of us. I pray for this church to be a blessing to the nations of the world. Lord, I pray for it, for all the many nations, ethnic groups, the, the, Lord, how you look at nations. It's not political. You look at nations as ethnic groups and you love all of them and you move them around. Your word tells us that. Lord, I pray for every ethnic group around here that this church may be a blessing to them. And I pray for many to be sent from this church to bless ethnic groups elsewhere. Lord, that that may happen over the years. Thank you for what you're already doing. Thank you for being reminded of it in the conference we're having this week. But in Jesus' name, I pray let this church take that responsibility and rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen.